Welcome to The Blank Page. The Blank Page features creative nonfiction pieces written by students at Bow High School in Bow, New Hampshire. I'm your host, Crystal Bonin, English teacher. This hour, you'll hear stories, reviews, and essays that range from the strange to the informative to the hilarious. Here's our first story. I was a witness to a crazy night ending with a shocking event last summer at Izmir, Turkey. The sun was just starting to set when I met with my cousin on the back road. There were two boys in the car next to her, and she was waiting for me outside. Everyone was chatting, laughing, while deciding to what to do. After discussions and getting some drinks and snacks from the market, we got into the car with one more guy, and their other friends were in another car, which was a total old wreck. There was a plastic bag covering the space where the window was supposed to be. When we started driving, the other car st started doing some dangerous moves like changing lanes in the most stupid times. After picking up one of our friends from the other part of the city and eating waffles, we went back to where we came from, but it was still early for us, something like 1am. During summer, we didn't have to go back home early, which was the best. So we started driving again for 30 minutes and found a beautiful scene, which was when we stopped at a hill near the sea. Everyone was talking, smoking, drinking, and having fun. The sound of the waves was sporting the beauty of the scene. One of their friends came with another car, and he was older than everyone else. He was a little bit drunk, but it didn't stop him from driving. We started driving back to where we started at first. The road was crooked and barely had lights. Music was so loud in the car. The other two cars started racing with each other while continuing driving like crazy. At one curve, suddenly a pig family started running across the road. One of these other cars hit to the mother pig. We stopped, got out, and started examining the dead body of the pig with the flashlights of our phones and its mark on the car. Gasps and getting disgusted were the main reaction to this sudden event. We couldn't handle to move the pig away from the road because of its weight, and it was kind of disgusting. Also, we didn't call anyone. We just left it with its own destiny. Any life doesn't deserve to end because of the other's fun. It could be one of us, but instead of that, the innocent pig was the one who was lying dead on the ground. Jemrai Uslu is a senior at Bo High School who is also an exchange student from Turkey. She's trying to understand American teenage culture. Also, she is productive when she doesn't fall asleep. Follow her on Twitter at MyNonsense98. Good morning, written by Brian Shackton. I wake up every morning to a blaring alarm. The alarm blasts into my ear, making me jump. The alarm is placed on a metal filing cabinet next to my head. When the alarm sounds, it rumbles to help me pull me away from my dreams. The alarm sounds five out of the seven days of the week. That alarm wakes me for I can anticipate my day. My anticipation includes me mentally and physically preparing myself for the next eight hours of gaining knowledge. I slap my hand down onto my phone. My finger frantically searches for the sleep button. There is no real reason for why the alarms have to sound so aggressive. All I want is to be able to wake up to a softer sound. The issue is, how can I wake up to the sound of a goddess singing? I need all the time I have to get ready. 
The first hour is used as preparation. I slowly lift my head and torso off of my bed. I turn hard to twist my body. My legs lay suspended over the floor. My next move is that feeling you get when you're about to jump off of a bridge or a tall tree into a body of water. I slide off the side of my bed and land hard on the cold wooden floor. Even the sound my feet make when they smack the floor sound like they're telling me not to get up. I slowly stumble across my room to the door. I grasp the handle with my left hand, turning it quickly till it comes to a halt. I pull the door open hard, causing me to step back quicker than my body can handle at this hour. One step out of my room onto the carpeted hallway, and my feet are persuading me to go back to bed. They let me know that the carpet is soft, and what else is soft? My bed. My saunter turns into a scurry. I reach for the bathroom light to the right of me. As I reach, I notice a figure with a similar posture across from me. My finger hesitates on the switch. Still curious about the silhouette, I flick the light switch up, and my eyes adjust to the room illuminating. I know who that is. It's me. I was a witness to a satanic ritual. It happened a few years ago when I was in sixth grade. I was friends with an odd group of people at the time. They were all into goth and emo things like anime and screamo. We were having a group sleepover at one of the girls' houses one night. There were six people at this group sleepover, five girls and one boy. The boy only stayed during the day and then left at night because her parents didn't want him to sleep over. The time had to be between 8 and 10 at night. We were all in the living room eating food when one of the girls comes up with the idea to perform a satanic ritual in the exercise room. The group reacts excitedly, saying it was such a great idea. Everyone in the group went except for me because I didn't want to participate in any part of it. The girl who was hosting gathered candles, a lighter, and food as offerings. I peered into the doorframe of the room just to see if they were actually doing it. On the ground, they had placed out lit candles in the shape of a star with boxes of food in the center and possibly some other objects. The lights were turned off. They all sat down in a circle around the lit candles and held hands. One of them said that they should all close their, their eyes, so they did. And then one of them told me to shut the door, in which I did, and went into the living room to avoid what they were doing. About a minute later, I hear screaming, and then everyone rushes out of the room they were in, saying that the food moved. After around two minutes, they went back in. They repeated the process multiple times. They stopped after about three tries. The rest of the night, I can't recall, but other weird things probably happened. Let's just say our friendship declined from there. Autumn Cohen is a sophomore at Bow High School. She enjoys reading, writing, photography, and hot weather. Follow her on Twitter at CreativeWorks04. Hello, and welcome to Mods Dark Now's uh, book response to the book Jaguar. Jaguar is a fictional story written by Alan Rabinowitz and is about a Alan traveling to Belize to set up a jaguar preserve. Rabinowitz uses dialogue often to interact with his fellow people in the jungle. He also uses the dialogue to communicate with 
the sounds he hears throughout the jungle. The plot of Jaguar is Rabinowitz coming to Belize and um, trying to save the jaguars from extinction. He wants future generations to see the beauty of the animal and not miss out on an opportunity of a lifetime. He also believes that every man is put on earth for a purpose, and he believed that his purpose was to save the jaguar, and that's why he went to Belize to help out and create a jaguar preserve. For me, I believe when Rabinowitz says everyone has a purpose for this world, because for me, without any purpose, why would I be here? I must be, I must be here to do something for the world, no matter how big or how small. Rabinowitz goes into detail, and you can pretty much picture yourself actually being on the Jaguar Preserve with him. If your field clothes consist of a long khaki pants, a long sleeve cotton shirt, and a baseball cap, as mine did, nothing can stop the omnipresent mosquitoes, botlas, and sandflies from feasting on any inch of your flesh. With this detail, you know what clothing you're wearing, what the harsh conditions are like involving mosquitoes and such, and you can really feel the mosquito bites sometimes when you're reading that in depth. Overall, Jaguar is a great read. Even though I'm reading it for my Belize class, I would recommend it to anyone. I would like to thank you for your time and hope you enjoy another podcast, if there even is one. Have a good day. Friday, April 14th, 2017, the Laconia Daily Sun published an article titled U.S. Hit ISIS with the Largest Non-Nuclear Bomb Ever Used. The Associated Press states that just days ago on Thursday, the U.S. forces in Afghanistan struck a complex of underground tunnels and caves controlled by and used by the Islamic State in Akin District of Nagahar Province with the largest non-nuclear bomb ever used in combat by the U.S. military at 7.32 p.m. Trump states that the strike of, the, of this massive ordnance air blast, GBU-43B, or MOAB, was a very, very successful mission. The U.S. felt as though this was a necessary action due to their dedication in, in assisting the Afghan forces in combating the Taliban. The U.S. military's actions of dropping the MOAB on the Islamic State's underground cities was necessary. A mile-wide crater left in Akin District previously occupied by hundreds of Islamic terrorists due to ISIS's great idea of beheading our people and destroying the lives of those and nations throughout. ISIS must pay for their wrongdoings. Though fighting fire with fire is not always the best option, sometimes it is the only option. Each and every individual has their own morals, and providing the knowledge of your morals on others is one thing, but killing others because their morals are wrong to us goes directly against our morals. Or does it? We're only doing this for the better, right? But aren't we contradicting ourselves and simultaneously making things worse in the short term? War is wrong, but war is necessary. There's no getting around it unless everyone is on the same page, and clearly that is not an alternative. On Friday, April 14th, GBU-43, was, which was deemed ready to use for over 14 years, was detonated at 7.32 p.m. in the Akin District. At least 94 ISIS fighters were killed, including four commanders, after the 21,000-pound bomb 
targeted the network of fortified underground tunnels that ISIS had been using to stage attacks. The 30-foot-long GPS-guided bomb capable of destroying an area equivalent to nine city blocks left a mile-wide crater and smashed windows of homes over three miles away. The blasts were commensurate to between 15,000 and 20,000 tons of TNT and set off a mushroom cloud visible for 20 miles. With this much destruction in one's hand, the Pentagon had to order a legal review to ensure that the device would not be deemed an indiscriminate killer under the law of armed conflict, the body of the law that regulates behavior during wartime in the 16-year war in Afghanistan, a distraction for those from the U.S. mission of fighting the Taliban. Afghan official Zakilal stated that the use of the largest non-nuclear bomb is reprehensible and counterproductive. Though chief executive of Afghanistan confirmed that the attack had been carried out in coordination with the government and that great care had been taken to avoid civilian harm. Trump said that we have the greatest military in the world. We have given them total authorization and that's what they're doing. And frankly, that's why they've been so successful. Mr. Karzai tweets otherwise. This is not the war on terror, but the inhumane and most brutal misuse of our country as a testing ground for new and dangerous weapons. This was truly inappropriate. The U.S. was just using Afghanistan as grounds to send a message to North Korea and Russia trying to threaten them. Omar, Mohammed Omer Safi, former provincial governor of Kunduz and head of U.N. Security Office, Afghanistan, told Fox News. The bomb had been a controversial topic since it was de detonated. Ethics are at risk here and countries are torn. After researching the event more thoroughly, my thoughts have remained the same. The actions were to we took were necessary, and although I understand where the anti-Moab Afghans are coming from, my opinion remains unaltered. As an American, I'm biased to say that we are doing this for the good of the world, but I do understand their perspective. Maybe we were using Moab to test our new non-nuclear warfare, but we're doing it in a manner in which will better everyone, except for the Islamic State, of course. Mohammed Omer Safi said the U.S. was just using Afghanistan as grounds to send a message to North Korea and Russia trying to threaten them, which, whether true or false, did send a message to those around the world, including the Taliban. Aside from all of this, the U.S. and Afghanistan are on the same page stating that this was a necessary action to be taken against ISIS. The massive bomb killed 94 of the Islamic militants, including four commanders, weakening their power. The mushroom cloud visible from 20 miles away may have left civilians with mental scars, but much less so than the presence of Islamic extremists. Athena Fenaris is a senior at Bow High School. Follow her absolutely absurd and unworthy Twitter at MyLifeBlogged. BHS Olympic Stamps Off by Pablo Block. It was at Bow High School in the lobby during break. There was loud music and cheering. The BHS Olympics dance off had started. I danced with Mrs. Powell, Carly, Sohani, and Katie. All the grades were there competing for points. I made up my own dance moves. Everyone got in a circle. I was dancing in a circle 
with Sahani. I was jumping and hopping with everyone, people while smiling, having fun. The senior class won the dance off. I helped, helped win. When I am dancing, I feel brave. I was happy to be a part of the dance off. My name is Pavel. I like to do Zuma and basketball. I live with my dad and mom and sister. I have two pets, a dog named Sugar and a cat named Oscar. I am graduating school this year. I want to try new things next year. Twilight sunk its teeth into a generation of teenagers, many of whom became possessed by its mediocre plot and so-called dreamy protagonists. Fortunately, I managed to avoid the craze by consuming quality media. After I read the books and watched the movie, it became abundantly clear to me that this was one of the best book-to-movie adaptations made in semi-recent years. Kristen Stewart, Robert Pattinson, and Billy Burke specifically became their characters so perfectly that I was actually enjoying myself for a while. Everybody else was up to par, but didn't fall into their characters quite like those three did. I have a great amount of respect for the actors in this movie, because they did the best they could with the script that they were given. The plot of Twilight doesn't exactly lend itself to an Oscar nomination for even the best of actors. The one thing I would like to congratulate this movie on is its use of color distortion, contrast, and cinematography in the opening shots and most of the movie. In a majority of the movie, the darker colors are sharper, and everyone is made paler, which contrasts nicely with the scenes in Phoenix, where everything looks normal. The meaning is clear. Forks is fundamentally different than the rest of the world. Cinematography isn't exactly anything special, but it is fitting with the type of movie they are making. The action sequences are handheld, the dramatic sequences are with long panning or circular shots, and the camera frames the pretty Washington scenery very well. While certain aspects of this film were well done, they are easily negated by the rest of the movie. <laughs> the script was perfectly adapted from the books, which means it's terrible. Every line in this movie is overflowing with excessive self-pity and angst. Although this style of narration and dialogue is a hallmark of teenage novels written in the early 2000s, this grows extremely tiresome after an unforgiving two hours of movie. This movie is two hours long, and the characters do little to break up the monotony. Taylor Lautner's performance as Jacob Black is extremely boring, which honestly should have been expected. He is a subpar actor at best, and the only good thing he seems to contribute to any of his roles is his impressive physique. Edward is an awful liar, and while his attempts to seem uncomfortable are noble, he only exceeds in looking constipated every five seconds. Bella has no actual interests, hobbies, or anything that defines her as an individual, and while her voiceover is fine at the beginning, it becomes extremely grating by the end of the movie. It took me a couple watchthroughs to understand why she is portrayed in this way. Bella is meant to lack personality, 
so that the viewer can superimpose themselves onto the character. While this makes the character more relatable, it leads to a main character with little presence in her own story. I would recommend this movie to viewers looking for a mindless watch. While Twilight is definitely a bad movie, it does provide background noise and some pretty Washington scenery. Watch at your own risk. Katie Vizella is a senior at Bow High School and a frequent fixture at the Baker Free Library. You can find her searching for her laptop charger any day of the week. Follow her on Twitter at publiclibrary17. The Duffer Brothers' mysterious hit Netflix show, Stranger Things. Stranger Things is a nostalgic science fiction horror show that takes multiple concepts and turns them into one. Balancing style and substance is something the Duffer Brothers nailed. Stranger Things does a great job of making you feel like you're watching a show produced in the era in which it was set. Humor, mystery, horror, action, and drama, and just about every other genre, are encased within Stranger Things, making it a good fit for everyone. In an interview conducted by CBS News, the Duffer Brothers explained their inspiration behind the hit Netflix show, Stranger Things. They set out with two goals in mind, to create something entirely fresh and unthought of, and to make viewers feel as if they were in the 80s. Many can attest that the Duffer, Duffer Brothers accomplished both goals. Stranger Things has a certain appeal other television shows don't. It can hook you immediately and everything will seem fitting, the setting, the acting, the direction, just as it should be, bringing out the perfect blend of 1980s nostalgia. Stranger Things ultimately becomes a dark and twisted ride into an even darker and more disturbing world where the stakes feel higher than anything before it, leaving the, the viewer yearning for more. Stranger Things is one of those special shows that will hook you immediately. Its exciting dark tale is expertly portrayed through its eight-episode season. The ending is wrapped with a few loose story threads left hanging. Memorable, exciting, dark, and haunting, the Duffer Brothers hit a grand slam. The author of this piece is James Fersh. He is a senior at Bow High School, as well as a humble young man. He serenades baby goats to sleep with his melodic voice. You can follow his journey on Twitter at Wolfgang's Diary. That one time I was in a police chase by Patrick Began. I was a witness to a police chase of sorts. I was in the passenger seat of my dad's 2002 Ford Ranger at around 10 p.m., going around 50 miles per hour in a 30 on back roads, with him in the driver's seat. We were less than a mile and a half from home when the police car in the other lane flashed its lights. My dad floored it, figuring that there was no way the police officer could ever catch us, judging by the fact that he'd need to slow down, take a sharp turn into the other side of the road, and catch back up to us. We turned onto our street, tires squealing, past a cable guy packing up his stuff into his utility vehicle on the side of the road that looked at us with a very confused expression on his face. Flying up Jennifer Drive, we peeled into our driveway and came to a stop at the side of our house. Getting out of the car, we had just started to walk inside when my dad stopped. He said something about the cop not having speeded by the house yet. He bolted back to the truck, turned the ignition, and rushed down behind the house just as the police car's searchlight came into view, creeping down the road, trying to get any hint of where the truck he'd seen speeding down the road went. I heard my dad shut the door and walk back to the front of the house with the keys in his hands seconds later.
This is definitely one of the most heart-pounding Need for Speed-esque experiences I'll never forget. There once was a little boy named Patrick Began that took introductory to writing because he had to take a writing class. One assignment was to make a blog. Hank and John Green are two people I have a hard time listening to, but are smart people when it comes to their topics. While their intelligence is a positive, they also have some negative aspects too. I have been seeing more and more of these two men as my learning career has been going forward. They have their own shows that they put on YouTube to help people learn. They use a combination of animations and words to get their points across, which can help different kinds of learners. John Green makes history videos and Hank Green makes anatomy videos. I like how they put a lot of time and effort into their videos. A lot of people use these videos to help them learn about a topic, especially teachers. They are both experts in their respective fields and good teachers. Don't even get me started with what I think about their negative side. The problem that bugs me most about them is that they talk so fast that no one can understand them. If it's supposed to be an educational video, then they should speak s slowly to let the people process the information. Also, when they're talking, they move their hands all over the place. I'm surprised they don't knock something off their desk when they're making all these hand motions. Their appearance is also negative. For both of them, they always wear the same clothes in every video, and they do the same things. They have a very bad hairdo that makes them look like they just got out of bed. You think that they would do something to fix this, but I don't think they know how to because it's so bad. Hank is very skinny, and I'm pretty sure he hasn't seen the inside of a gym in his life before. John is a bit chubby, I don't think he's seen a gym either. They always speak in weird voices when they are trying to get their point across, and it seems like they're short of breath. Maybe if they were in better shape, they wouldn't be out of breath during their videos. Sometimes they make really dumb jokes that they think are funny, but no one who is watching gets the jokes. They use such big words in their shows, and if kids are watching, they can't understand what they're talking about because of the vocabulary they use. John Green pretends that he is a student sometimes, and he asks questions to his teacher. He has an imaginary friend named Stan who isn't even a person. He just has his name because he thinks it's funny. The most annoying thing about John Green is that he rolls over in his little rolly chair because he is too lazy to get his butt off the chair over the fireplace, and he pretends to ask a question. He says it's the mystery question of the day, even though he knows the answer to it already. He sometimes purposely gets it wrong just so he can get shocked by Stan. Honestly, that is the best part about John's whole show. Hank talks with a fake accent most of the time, and he tries to sound funny, but he is also not, just like his brother. These are some of the negatives and positives about John Green and Hank Green and their horrendous videos. I would recommend these videos to teachers who are trying to summarize the unit that they just taught. That's about all I can see that is good about their shows. Ben Kimball is a junior in Bell High School who likes to tell jokes and talk about sports with people. Follow him on Twitter at Ben underscore B Kimball. I was a witness to a four-wheeler crash. The trail in Laconia, New Hampshire was covered in snow that was slushy and slippery. My cousin Hannah, who was 15 with short blonde hair, was driving the green four-wheeler with me, the innocent passenger on the back. The four-wheeler was in perfect condition before this tragic event, so was the tree. The trail had hills and trees all around, like it was an obstacle course. When we got back to the bridge where people were standing, my cousin asked to switch seats so that she could drive. 
She drove slow, which means that it was even harder to get traction on the slippery snow. She drove around, slipping and spinning the tires. The snow was splashing up behind the four-wheeler. She drove up the long hill away from both our parents, uncle, and aunt. It took about two minutes to get up the hill. When she was up the hill, she drove faster. While on the way down the other side, there were many trees all over the trail, like it was another obstacle course. As she was driving, she looked scared at how fast she was going, so she suddenly stopped, which sent the four-wheeler slipping forward into a tree in the path. The front of the four-wheeler had a broken front light and the tree had a big gash out of it. The four-wheeler was in perfect shape before this tragic event. The tree was in perfect condition as well. After this, she laughed. She drove away and left a small pine tree and pieces of her front light sitting there. As she drove away, more pieces of the plastic from the headlight fell off in front. Hannah was not hurt, but the vehicle was. When back at the bridge with the adults, she didn't tell them what she did. She parked the four-wheeler and walked across the bridge to the house on the other side. She was laughing the entire time. She left me to explain to my uncle what had happened. My uncle was not mad about the four-wheeler being wrecked, but I will never ride with her again. Sky Nieves is a freshman at Thole High School. She enjoys reading, playing sports, swimming, and writing. Read her chapbook called Short Reads. The Office Review The Office is an unbelievably great show and should be seen by all eyes on the planet. After the huge hit of the British show The Office about the day-to-day life in the slow branch, the American version was born. At the start, many people were unsure how the series was going to turn out, and some even doubted it would be a hit at all. After just the first episode, people found out how different this show was going to be and also how funny and ridiculous a boss could act. There are some people that say the U.S. version of The Office is not good because they copy ideas from the British version or that the show itself tries too hard to be funny. To describe these people in one word, I would say stupid. The Office is easily one of the best TV shows out there, and if you don't believe me, it's because you've never seen an episode. After watching just the first episode, I was instantly hooked right in. The comedic genius of the boss, Michael Scott, and the way that the office functions is absolutely amazing. Every episode is unique in its own way, and you never know what to expect once the catchy intro ends. To truly explain how great the show is, I had to Google bad things about the TV series The Office. Even Googling that yielded no bad things about the show. I would have to say, the only bad thing is that you have to keep watching episode after episode and that it takes time out of your day. This show hooks you in and keeps you glued to the screen. If you missed five minutes of this show, you probably missed Michael Scott dressed up as a fat man giving a speech, Andy Bernard punching a hole through a wall, or even Meredith getting hit by a car. This show has endless possibilities with the potential to be one of the greatest shows in history. This show puts a comedic spin on what a modern day in the office would be like. Dwight Schrute, who is a power-hungry salesman gunning for the top job of regional manager, is a modern-day sociopath and has a whimsical feud with co-worker Jim Helpert. You wouldn't expect to come into work and find your boss in a sumo suit, or up on a roof throwing watermelons onto a trampoline. Just think about your life with Michael Scott as your boss. You definitely wouldn't get any work done, 
but going to work itself would be anything but ordinary. If you're looking for a good prank, look no further than the relationship between Jim and Dwight. Each episode from any season will have a future prank pulled on the arrogant Dwight Schrute at some point in the office. Some of these pranks include Jim constantly putting Dwight's things in jello, putting his desk and chair in the bathroom, and even tricking Dwight into fighting with himself. You will constantly find yourself laughing at these, and when you think you feel bad for Dwight, he'll respond and realize why you love these pranks being pulled on him. Love is always in the air when in the office. It all started with Michael and Jim, an iffy relationship with Michael's boss in corporate. Then there was Jim and Pam, the best couple and best love story in the show. Every episode yields a new result in the love life of at least one of the employees and keeps everyone on their feet. There is no better way to describe this show than by saying, when you get home, just start watching it. However you want to do it, binge watching, a couple every day, it doesn't matter. As long as before you die, you've completed all nine seasons of this amazing show. I would recommend this show to everyone and anyone who has a sense of humor and can look past the wackiness to see what a great show this is. Brendan Winch is a senior at Bow High School who enjoys playing sports, eating food, and long walks on the beach with Jim Kaufman. Follow him on Twitter at FarmersMarket21. Junk food. I think junk food, with many positives like tasting delicious and being low price, has more negatives like being unhealthy and causing long-term health problems. Even with all the multiple positives on junk food, I think there are way more negatives. If you eat too much junk food, you can become overweight. For the rest of your life, imagine being overweight and barely being active because of what you ate at an early age. I believe junk food can increase health issues as you get older. In my opinion, junk food can also cause bad performance in sports and other daily activities because of lack of protein. Junk food is very high in calories, and some of these health issues can shorten someone's life. Junk food tastes amazing, but not always the right decision. Junk food's negative can cause more permanent damage to a person's health, and the positives can only last a short amount of time, like the taste. Junk food has a ton of positives. It's low-priced food that is easy to prepare. Despite the fact that junk food has very good taste, it is not always the healthiest choice. Even though having a pre-made meal is easy and helpful on the go, it is not the healthiest option. Yes, I think it saves time because it's easy and quick to make. Some people base their entire diet around junk food, which is not the healthiest at all. Yes, it saves money, but not lives. Junk food, although it tastes good and inexpensive, it has way more negatives than positives that can leave you with awful long-term health issues. For this, for this reason, I recommend that you should try not eating a lot of junk food if you want to live a long, good, strong, and healthy life. Lindsay Burnham is a freshman at Bow High School. She enjoys playing soccer, basketball, and swimming. Follow her on Twitter at notmyroderick123. Julia Hollinger will now be reading a letter written by herself. She wrote this to Senator Hassan with a goal to bring awareness to pediatric cancer. Dear Senator Hassan, my name is Julia Hollinger and I am from Bow, New Hampshire. I am in the 11th grade at Bow High School. 
Congratulations on being elected as our new senator. I'm writing to you to ask that you consider raising awareness of childhood cancer throughout the Senate community. Childhood cancer is very misunderstood throughout all of society, especially because many people believe that pediatric cancer is rare. Despite popular belief, almost 700 children are diagnosed each day. That is equivalent to one child diagnosed every two minutes. Even with all the children diagnosed, the National Cancer Institute still does not distribute many of their funds to researching pediatric cancers. The NCI devotes 4% of their funds to all childhood cancers, bone cancer, blood cancer, brain cancer, and other types of cancer that affect children. For adult cancer, each type of cancer receives a percentage of funds from the NCI, which in total makes up 96% of all funds. For example, the NCI gives 12% of their funds towards breast cancer research, and that doesn't even include the private donations that breast cancer research companies receive. The children need this research. They need better technology and resources to help them get better and enter remission. Most children diagnosed with cancer are treated using technologies developed before the 1980s, as only 10 new technologies have been developed for pediatric cancers since the 80s, while hundreds have been developed in the same time period for adult cancers. Pediatric cancer takes the lives of 2,500 children each year. An increase of funds from the NCI to further develop treatment can help save those kids. I appreciate your help. Thank you for giving your time and consideration to my request and raising awareness of childhood cancer and potentially giving more money to further research and understand childhood cancer. Again, congratulations on the most recent election. Sincerely, Julia Hollinger. The ABC network attempts to incorporate television shows that have a meaningful as well as relatable reaction from their audiences. The Middle does just that. A talented cast and an equally amusing yet engaging plotline is what has kept the show running since 2009. Patricia Heaton leads the show as Frankie, a mom of three kids struggling with all too familiar issues for lower middle class families. If foreigners wanted a glimpse into the life of the average American family, this is what they should be watching, not the Kardashians. This show works because it is refreshingly real. The middle can make you laugh as well as cry in a simple 22 minutes, an accurate portrayal of real life. I would go far enough to say that it is the most excellent American family sitcom on television right now. The title of the show, The Middle, has several meanings. The show is set smack bang in the middle of America, in Orson, Indiana, with a middle class family. It shows the simple things like going to a middle school graduation, fixing a broken sink, taking a family road trip, or trying to get into college. These are the tender moments that make us love each other even more, but drive us crazy at the same time. The parents of the show are Frankie and Mike Heck, played by Patricia Heaton and Neil Flynn, respectively. Frankie is the type of parent who is always attempting to draw comparisons between herself and other seemingly perfect families. Mike is the one who keeps her on the ground through his short-tempered personality and his love of the Colts. Both of them have no idea what they are doing, but that's the beauty of it. Their oldest kid, is the arrogant Axel, played by Charlie McDermott. His favorite hobbies include sitting on the couch in his underpants and drinking milk straight out of the jug. The middle child, Sue, is played by Eden Cher. She's naive and innocent, yet energetic and determined. She'll give everything a try, but always comes out unsuccessful. Brick, the youngest child, played by Atticus Schaefer, is a bookish nerd with a quirky personality. One of his favorite hobbies include repeating things in whispers. Most of the time, his family will forget about him, but it always turns out right in the end. One thing that all the kids have in common is the excellent portrayal of their characters. It is not often that you find actors and actresses that don't seem to just play the role, 
they become that role, and you can't imagine anyone else taking their place. Another thing I like about the middle are the amazing plot lines. The characters seem to provide a good message without trying to sound too clever. Longtime fans will notice how the characters have evolved over time. Although there's not always a happy ending, the family all loves and cares for each other in a way that is difficult to show on television these days. A main standout character in the show is Frankie, the mom. She narrates both the beginning and the ending of each episode, giving it that magic touch. While she tries to maintain a positive attitude, she always believes that her family should be doing something differently. While working several full-time jobs throughout the show, such as dentist, secretary, and car saleswoman, she has to juggle everyday family functions and occurrences. An episode that stuck with me when, was when her youngest kid, Brick, was sick and she had to go to work, so she told him that he could hang out in one of the cars at the dealership that she worked at. That worked out fine, until a customer decided to take a test drive. My dad is a car salesman, so I was able to connect with that struggle. Although the middle class is apparently shrinking, many families can relate with the experiences illustrated on the middle. While immersed in another episode, viewers will find themselves saying, Wow, that doesn't just happen in my family. The apparent goal of the middle is to see through these barriers we have between us and realize that we all aren't that different. If I had anything negative to say about the middle, I don't think that I could. The screenplay is excellent and the cast is stellar. Perhaps the only negative is that the plot line may not apply to everyone, but that is an extremely difficult thing for a television show to do. I recommend giving this family sitcom a try, and maybe you'll find yourself in the middle of a new obsession. I apologize for anyone who's offended by my jokes. Alina Willis is a freshman at Bow High School from Huxit, New Hampshire. When she is not reading or writing, her hobbies include correcting people's grammar and researching genealogy from different cultures. Follow her blog's Twitter at writingbetween. I was a witness to a hairy animal dancing on two legs. It was the middle of summer of 2016. We went to the downtown Concord behind Margaritas after eating at Dos Amigos. We stood in the entrance staring at the people inside. Everyone was sitting on a rock, glued to their phones. The light reflected into the sky, giving the sky a nice shade of black. The area around me was surrounded by glares of phones and flashes. From a distance, you could hear a strum of a guitar. Everyone's head jumped away from their friends, staring at the sound. The strumming continued at a rapid pace. Everyone was now staring at the guitarist away from their phones. People stood up and walked over to the strumming. They all stood in a disorganized circle, surrounding the noise. He strummed at a faster pace where everyone could follow the beat. And then a white, fi a white hairy animal stood from the rock and boogied over to the center of the circle. He started getting really into the music. Then he stopped. He took off his shirt and threw it at someone. All you could hear was laughter and gasps. The guitar continued to play. You could tell everyone's expression on their face was either disgust or confused. We didn't last two seconds in that area before we left. Alex Scott is a senior at Bow High School. He enjoys reading Diary of a Wimpy Kid on a sunny day, but nothing else. Follow him at The Final Push on Twitter. I would like to introduce Taylor Burnham. She is going to be doing an audio book response to the book, The Fault in Our Stars. Taylor will be discussing the plot, the characters in the first 100 pages, sentence structure, and dialogue within the book.
take it away, Taylor. Plot. The book The Fault in Our Stars is about a 16-year-old girl, Hazel Grace Lancaster, with cancer. Her mom makes her attend a cancer support group. During one of the meetings, she meets a boy named Augustus Waters. They become friends and share their experiences with cancer. They both decide to read each other's novels. Augustus reads An Imperial Affliction, and Hazel reads The Price Down Under. They discuss their novels. They go on a Dutch-themed picnic, and Augustus tells Hazel his plan to meet the author of An Imperial Affliction. Peter Van Houten in Amsterdam. Hazel wants him to answer some questions about the end of the book. Augustus is hoping that a charitable foundation grants this wish to him. Hazel becomes sick, and her parents don't think that she should travel to Amsterdam until one doctor convinces her parents to travel because she needs to live her life. They travel to Amsterdam to meet the author and have their questions answered about the end of the book. Peter Van Houten, drunk and rude to them, refuses to answer their questions. Augustus tells Hazel that he had a body scan. He tells Hazel that the cancer has returned and spread everywhere. Hazel realizes that she loves him and would not trade their love in. Augustus dies eight days later. Hazel is surprised that Peter Van Holen came to the funeral. Their friend Isaac tells Hazel that Augustus was writing a sequel to An Imperial Affliction. Hazel shows this to Peter Van Holen. He reveals that he wrote his book about his daughter. Hazel tells him that he should write another book. Hazel then learns that Augustus sent his written pages to Peter Van Houten so he could write a eulogy about Hazel. Story ends with Hazel reading Augustus's words. Next, I'll be talking about the characters. First character is Hazel Grace Lancaster. She's a lonely 16-year-old girl diagnosed with thyroid cancer and lung problems. She spends her time watching TV or reading. She does not want to get close to anyone because when she dies, no one will get hurt. She states on page 99, I am a grenade, and at some point I am going to blow up, and I would like to minimize the casualties, okay? This quote teaches us that Hazel wants to isolate herself and not burden anyone with her cancer. The next character is Augustus Waters. He is a romantic 17-year-old boy. He was diagnosed with cancer, which caused him to have his leg removed. He likes to go after what he gets. An example of this is when he first meets Hazel and says on page 16, Because you are beautiful, I enjoy looking at beautiful people, and I decided a while ago not to deny myself the simpler pleasures of existence. This quote shows that he is outgoing and not shy. Augustus goes after his interests. The next character is Isaac, a friend of Hazel and Augustus, who introduces them at the support group. Isaac becomes negative and angry because of his cancer. He has cancer in his eyes, which causes him to go blind and lose his girlfriend. Example of his anger can be seen on page 61. When his girlfriend breaks up with him, he suddenly begins to kick the crap out of his gaming chair. This quote shows us that he is a frustrated person and feels he is losing control of his life due to his cancer. Miss Lancaster is Hazel's mother, and she is dedicated to caring for Hazel and learning about everything about Hazel's cancer. She wants her daughter to have a normal teenage life. An example of this can be seen on page 7. Hazel, you're a teenager. You're not a little kid anymore. You need to make friends, get out of the house, and live your life. This quote shows us that Miss Lancaster wants Hazel to live her life to the fullest despite having cancer. 
Next, I'll be talking about sentence structure. A good sentence includes a subject and a verb. Example, the dog chases the cat. The subject is dog, the verb is chases. To make an even better sentence, a writer should use who, what, where, when, and why. Who, the boy, what, ran, where, to the swing set, when, at recess, why, to get the last swing. The boy ran to the swing set at recess to get the last swing. A good sentence can be found on page 13. Hazel says everything that we did and built and wrote and thought and discovered will be forgotten, and all of this, I gestured incompassingly, will have been for naught. This is a good use of sentence structure because it is very detailed. It gives the reader some insight on Hazel's view of humanity. A poor example of sentence structure can be found on page 23. Hazel says, the light turned green. I braced myself. Both sentences are very short, choppy, and incomplete. The author could have combined them to say, As the light turned green, I braced myself for a long car ride. My sentence uses more description to explain the moment. I am now going to talking about dialogue. A great example of dialogue can be found on page 7 between Hazel and her mother. Me. I refuse to attend support group. Mom. One of the symptoms of depression is distant in activities. Me. Please just let me watch America's Next Top Model. It's an activity. Mom. Television is a pastivity. Me. Ugh. Mom. Please. Mom. Hazel, you're a teenager. You're not a little kid anymore. You need to make friends, get out of the house, and live your life. Me. If you want me to be a teenager, don't send me to the support group. Buy me a fake ID so I can go to clubs, drink vodka, and take pot. Mom. You don't take pot for starters. Me. See? That's the kind of thing I know that you got me a fake ID. Mom, you're going to this pro group. Me. Ugh. Mom. Hazel, you deserve a life. This is an example of a well-written and realistic dialogue between a mother and daughter. I can see this dialogue being said between my mother and I. Hazel displays de the defiant attribute of a teenager while her mother displays the caring attribute of a mo mother. This concludes my book response podcast on the Fault in Our Stars. Thanks for listening. Taylor Burnham, Fault in Our Stars. Thanks for listening. One item I own that doesn't have great value in money, but has a lot of value to me, would be my pickup truck. It's a 2000 Dodge Dakota Sport with 50,000 miles on it which is pretty low for its age in, in a year. It is also in very good condition. There's like no rust or anything at all. Kelly Blue Book even says that it's only worth like $2,500. And I think I'd get $3,500 for it because it's so nice and mean and clean, you know? It has a lot of value to me because it's a small truck with a lot of power, but I also like to go fishing with it also. I can use it to pull or even put my boat in the bed and go fishing anywhere I want with it. I also use it for work, like putting wood, gravel, and or mulch in it, because I landscape over the summer. And now that I have my own business, I have to use, I, I will need something bigger, but my truck will always be remembered in my lonely little heart. So, if there was something in this world that was mean, that meant a lot to me, but not worth a lot of money, it would be my truck, and it has a lot of value to me.
Kinsman Corthell likes to drive fast and do immature things when at school and when not. He likes playing hockey, football, and basketball. His favorite quote is, if you ain't first, you're last. Fighting, complaining, and stress. Characteristics of my personal hell called divorced parents. Divorced parents can be a savior for some people, but a heartbreak for others. Seemingly perfect families can be ripped apart by divorce. Many kids never see it coming until it's looking them right in the eyes. First, I'm going to talk about the incredibly short list of positives. The best thing about divorced parents is the peace. When I say peace, I mean getting away from a parent that you could be fighting with, who is annoying you, or who you are just tired of dealing with. I feel all of the above on almost a daily basis. Sometimes it's just nice to get away from all that for a few days. When you go back to that parent, those problems seem to have just disappeared. Another positive is gaining new members to your family. With my parents' divorce, I gained a stepmom, a half-brother, and two stepbrothers. My half-brother is two years old and is an angel. My stepmom is hilarious and amazing. My two stepbrothers are funny, sometimes. New family members have made my experience easier, and if I ever had a problem, I would go talk to my stepmom. My half-brother always distracts me and makes me laugh. Now, it's time to talk about the negatives. Where do I even begin? Stress, anxiety, moving back and forth, living out of a suitcase, and parents complaining. Let's talk about stress first. This occurs when one parent grills you about the time you spent with the other. If you mention one little detail, said parent will yell and scream about you mentioning it. That said detail can range from your other parent to things that go on at the other parent's house. Treading lightly whenever you talk about what you did when you were gone is an awful way to live. Stress and anxiety go hand in hand. Having the constant anxiety that you're going to slip up and get screamed at is not pleasant whatsoever. It eats away at you until you feel like you're going to snap. Then one of the two things happen. You break down in tears or anger. Just like stress and anxiety, moving back and forth and living out of a suitcase go hand in hand. When you unpack your suitcase, it feels like you are repacking it a day later and off you go to the other house. I live out of my suitcase. I practically wear the same things every week. Every Friday night, at whatever house I'm at, I unpack my clothes and wash them. Week after week, the same cycle over and over again. Getting to a house, once you are settled, you leave again. It's a constant cycle that can be vicious. And now, probably the best negative of all, parents complaining about each other. Imagine, you're telling a story about you and your best friend to one parent. Then all of a sudden, they start yelling at you about how difficult your other parent is. Or, you get picked up from one parent's house by the other. And then, that said parent immediately starts yelling about how inconvenient it is to be picking you up when in fact they offered to pick you up. This is the story of my life, and this happens multiple times a week at least. It is extremely annoying and frustrating. I'd recommend divorced parents to anyone who likes constant stress, anxiety, and being yelled at. I give divorced parents a negative 500 out of 10. It is the most awful and annoying experience in the entire world. So, in conclusion, I would like to say good luck to any baby, toddler, child, teenager, anyone who is or has experienced divorced parents. It is the most unfavorable experience. Good luck. Lauren 
Lauren Colby is a sophomore at Bow High School. She enjoys playing softball and writing. Follow her on Twitter at mediocre underscore reads. stories in this episode of The Blank Page were written and recorded by students at Bow High School in Bow, New Hampshire. Theme music by Matthew Bonin. See you next time on The Blank Page.